Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hey everyone, this is Erica Slater, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Today I'm joined by Amy Gunn, Liz Lenevy, and Megan Crow. And you know, we were sitting here in our little podcasting room trying to figure out what to talk about. And, you know, we just threw our hands up and we need to break down the most important aspect of legal practice. What are your favorite legal movies? We obviously want to hear from you, too. But Liz was scandalized by the fact that my cousin Vinny is not in my top three. So, Liz, do you want to start? Yeah, I want to start with the question of where do you get off? <laughs> what? <laughs> Vinny not even in the top three? What yeah, are the top three? Well, I mean, <laughs> how is it not? How do you Let's not hear. know what my favorite legal movie is? Legally Blonde, guys. It yes. is the oh, best legal movie of yes. all times with some of my favorite movie quotes of any movies, legal or not. Look, as a millennial woman, Legally Blonde obviously has a very important role in my development, not just as an attorney, but as a human being. Because of that, I think that was the first movie I watched where I was like, yes, girls can do anything. We can do it. All right. But that leaves two more spots on the top three. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So my number two is Aaron Brockovich. Oh, okay. love Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And I'm sitting here thinking of my number three and what it would be if it wasn't my cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> I feel kind of like I made a bold statement. A, maybe. a good one is The Lincoln Lawyer. You know, I read the book and never seen the movie, but it's Matthew McConaughey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's on my list now. It's very good. I know they remade it into a show that's on Netflix, but I have not watched the show version. But the movie with Matthew McConaughey is very engaging. I hadn't read the book, so I didn't know what the plot was, which is why I liked it. If I knew what the plot was from the book, I might not enjoy the movie as much because I don't think it's one that you can return to over and over again in the same way like Lily Blonde. Yeah. Well, okay, so my number three, and I'm going to break our podcast rules of what this topic was since we just announced them, it's Law & Order. I mean, when I think about my formative legal cinematic experiences – it is Legally Blonde and Law and & Order, and Aaron Brockovich is just some nice popcorn in there. When I was in law school, we had a Law & Order book for CrimPro. Yeah, for, for criminal procedure. We had a book that was a Law & Order book, and so the lessons were based around episodes of Law & Order, and a <laughs> CD came with the textbook that had all the relevant episodes on it, and so we would watch the episodes that corresponded to that lesson. Oh, my gosh. That is so wonderful. It was pretty accurate. After doing that, I realized that a lot of the legal proceedings in the original Law & Order, I can't speak for SVU because these were all original, but they were pretty accurate. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, every time I haven't heard of Ordire where the attorneys don't say something about like, now you may watch legal shows or, you know, when talking about the burden of proof, like you may hear like beyond a reasonable doubt on legal shows. And then you have to like reteach everyone that you don't have to prove every case beyond a reasonable doubt because they're all sitting there thinking of law and order and <laughs> thinking how you need to prove your case. So a few good men. Ah, uh, yeah. Every day, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. 
<laughs> How many times <laughs> do you think you watched it? <laughs> oh, y'all. Is, that, is that You Can't Handle the Truth? Yes. Yeah. But it occurred to me, I love Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. I gravitate toward the trial movies. Like the ones that, like My Cousin Vinny is a trial movie. A Few Good Men is a trial movie. And I mean, The Few Good Men came out, when was that? Like early 90s, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when I was in law school getting out of law school. And I watched it and I used to watch it every time right before I'd start a new trial. Really? Yes. I used to watch it like the weekend before or whenever I could fit it in. And for a while, I would try to find a quote or some technique from A Few Good Men and work it into my trial. I'm not kidding. I've kind (laughs) of gotten away from it just because time goes on. But I remember when Ann Brocklin and I were trying the Jefferson case, gosh, this was a long, long time ago, we were trying to figure out a way to get a few good men quote in there. And I believe we figured out a way to get the two orders. Mm. You know, why the two orders? If he was perfectly safe, why did you have to order a code red? I'm not even sure if I'm getting that right anymore. But I think we got that in with the defendant. I'm doing a terrible job remembering it. But the point is... It was fundamental in the way I believed trials should look and how you should feel about them and how important they are. I don't know. I can't even describe my love for that movie start to finish. Things like when Joe gets up to object about the expert and how she doesn't think he's qualified and she strenuously objects. (laughs) And then Weinberg says, you know, that's the difference between paper law and trial law. Now you've got the judge calling him an expert. I mean, that's legit. Like that is a true thing that could happen. One of my favorites was when, you know, Ross, Kevin Bacon's character has Barnes, I think, was on the stand. And Ross says, I have here the Marine Corps outline for recruit training. I'd like you to turn the chapter on Code Reds. And Barnes says, oh, well, you see, sir, Code Red is a term we use just down in Gitmo. Oh, well, then we're in luck. There's the marching orders, standard operating procedure, rifle security company, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I'm sure we'll find it there. No, you won't find it there. And he kind of goes on and on. And then as Ross is sitting down holding the book, Tom Cruise's character, you know, Lieutenant Caffey takes it from him as they're crossing right in front of the tables. And Caffey says, Corporal Barnes, turn to the page in this book that tells you how to get to the mess hall. That's not in the book either. You mean the whole time you've been at Gitmo, you've never had a meal? And Barnes says, no, sir, three squares a day. And Caffey says, well, then how did you find the mess hall if it wasn't in this book? And Barnes says, well, sir, like everybody else, I just followed the crowd at chow time. No further questions. And the point of that is it's not everything's in the book. So we can use that with, you know, regulations and manuals on this and that. Well, you didn't follow the manual. Well, not everything is in the manual and just the way it happened. And that reminds me of the time that John, Kevin, Carney and I were trying a case in federal court and John had this huge book. I can't remember what it was like, some sort of regulation book. And there was nothing important in the book at all. But he kept it on the desk. And when an expert was on the stand, he would like kind of point to it and kind of and the expert wouldn't dare say anything about what was in the book because he knew the book was there or maybe it wasn't in the book. But it's not exactly the same kind of story. But to me, it shows the performance part 
of what we do as trial attorneys. It shows the thinking on your feet part. Now, look, I know it was scripted. But, <laughs> but I mean, but this is why we love but it. We love it because if you're sitting there like, oh, I just got beat. I just got beat. How can I get out of this? But it's so fundamentally stupid to think that everything's going to be in a book, even in the military, just thinking on your feet like that. And I don't know. I know I'm kind of gushing about it. And I had no idea that I still feel this way about that movie. I'm <laughs> See? not kidding. I told like, you Listen this. to me. <laughs> I'm fangirling about this movie from 30 years ago. But it was the right time in my life to have seen a movie like that and to have been inspired by that and the characters and the story. I consider watching that movie part of my legal trial education. And then my cousin Vinny is also, it's not in my heart of hearts. It's not like number one on my list, but it is similar because it shows the skill. And I know again, y'all, I know it's a movie, but it shows <laughs> the possibilities created by trial attorneys if you're in the right place, in the right time, well-skilled, paying attention, viewing the entire trial, not just what's in your face, just keeping it open. And most importantly, seeing this from the jury's perspective. What is the jury thinking right now? Are they thinking, golly, there's nothing in the book about that. There must not be anything as a code red. The prosecutor must be completely wrong. There's no such thing. And they're like, wait a minute. It's just a 180. Like, oh, it completely destroyed, completely destroyed it. So I strive every trial to completely destroy the defense <laughs> in some kind of way as cute and clever and simple as that. And most of the time I'm not successful, but every once in a while you fly close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Amy, I think that that's the same way I feel about Legally Blonde. So it came out in 2001. So I guess it was like my first year of high school. Now I'm saying too much. But my mom and I used to watch that movie like religiously. And don't watch Legally Blonde too. That's a waste of your time. Never do that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so the character is obviously everyone's trying to paint her as a bimbo for just being her own girly self, but she's the only person paying attention in the room. She's the only person in the class, in the firm that she's working at or whatever, and in the trial who has that chip on their shoulder that they have to prove something. They're paying attention because everyone around them is entitled to be there. And she knows that she's coming into a situation where she's not, obviously. And just like the quips, like even the fact that her friend is speaking, I think Vietnamese in the nail salon. I mean, that was like, <laughs> look at these girls. <laughs> like it's hard. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from the movie. But, you know, even in a movie that silly that, you know, has this love story and she's cute and funny and whatever. Even in a movie that silly, there's these just like cutthroat arguments like when she's in the classroom talking about the custody situation where like the donor guy was trying to get custody of a child that he donated sperm to and she's like well and every other time he's ever donated sperm in any form should be considered reckless abandonment <laughs> <laughs> i mean and like the argument is just brilliant and the same thing when she's in trial and the daughter or whatever of the guy is like, well, I was in the shower. And she's like, in the shower? 
Yeah, I was in the shower. You, what? In the shower? Doing what? Washing my hair. You're washing your hair in the shower? And then it clicks. She couldn't have been in the shower because she just got a perm. And she definitely would know that you can't shower within 24 hours of getting that perm. And it just unfolds. Broke it open. In a way that, like, you hardly ever get those moments at trial. But once in a while. That's my point. You get them in a depot. And it just is like, wait a minute. And you completely turn. And I think maybe, I can think of one time that I had that moment in a depot where I heard something and I had to ask twice, like, did you say that? Because that certainly can't be true if what you're saying over here is true and you just turn it around. So, I mean, it's probably been a good five months since I watched the movie. No, <laughs> probably <laughs> no, five years. On, but I'm watching oh, it. Oh, yeah. totally, totally. I think my numbers are probably up to 20 For with that. her, she was highly underestimated. Highly. And used it to her advantage. Sound familiar, ladies? And she was true to herself every single day. She wore her pink. She wore her heels. Unapologetic. Unapologetic who she was. And I take those things with me maybe as a little bit in my mind because, you know, you never really know exactly how you're influenced or from what sources or what information's really soaking into your being. But those are the things I think about about that movie. I mean, is it a coincidence that we wear heels? I mean, Elwood. Yeah. Heels. Don't I don't know. Don't tap those last season Prada shoes at me, honey. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Did, were you and I just talking about that last week? Oh, my gosh. One that of line our, just lives rent-free in my head. Uh, yes. One of our assistants came into the kitchen last week, and they said something about that, and, and I just threw that out. And I was like, man, I got to watch that. The thing that I take away from that scene, Erica, though, and everything that you said, Amy, but the other thing that I take away is the importance of diversity of thought mm -hmm. because no yeah. one else on that trial team with all that education and skill and training would have thought to put together the fact that you can't wash your hair. You can't get your hair wet within 24 hours of a perm. The only reason she had it was because she came from a different life experience. And the thing that I take away truly is that it is so important if you're going to have a strong legal team or a strong team in any sense of the word, you have to have people from multiple different backgrounds because they're all going to come with different knowledge that is going to just make the team stronger. It's so true because all of the other characters around her all had the same experience, all had this same like, oh, I was born to be here. And she's the one who noticed everything. Mm -hmm. She was the one who knew people in the movie. And that's what allowed her to pay attention, which I think if you've been a trial attorney long enough that you are developing that skill of paying attention and thinking how everything you're perceiving could fit in in a way you don't expect. Mm -hmm. I love Legally Blonde as kind of what Amy said. It's a testament to absolutely being yourself and letting that be okay and giving yourself permission to let that be okay. Because I am not going to lie. When I was going to law school, I have blonde hair. And when I was going to law school... <laughs> got a couple blondes in here. <laughs> there was a point in my life where I was legitimately thinking... Maybe I, if I go brunette, I'll be taken more seriously. Aww. And like, I thought that like changing my hair color was gonna make me more professional 
professional or be taken seriously. I was afraid of being seen as, you know, a dumb blonde for really lack of a better term in law school or not being taken as seriously. And, you know, I would be lying if I said that Legally Blonde was not an influence of (laughs) me realizing that I don't have to change the way I look to be taken seriously. It's okay to be a badass and be blonde. And if people underestimate me because of that, then prepare to be proven wrong. Right. All right. This is so hard for me because I love movies so much. So I've written so many movies down and crossed them out because I'm thinking we don't have enough time to talk about all of these films. Obviously, Legally Blonde. Love it. I've only seen A Few Good Men in bits and pieces that I can put the movie together, but I've never actually seen it in one sitting. Well, so when I told my story about (laughs) A Few Good Men, I did look it up. It's 1992. What year were you born, my dear? I was born in 91. Yeah. So do yourself a favor, young ladies. I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I was the ripe old age of seven. (laughs) I actually watched it for the first time just probably within the year. So you know what else came out in 1992? No. My Cousin Vinny. It did? It did. I just Googled it. What a great All right. year. Well, you're legal legal out yeah. 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 I did not know that. For some reason, I felt like that was later. But okay, I feel even better about it now. <laughs> okay, so My Cousin Vinny is, in my opinion, American cinematic gold. All right? <laughs> it is perfect. It is obviously funny. It's engaging. Powerhouse performances by Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei, obviously. She won something, didn't she? She won an Oscar for yeah. it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But beyond that, I think the thing that I take away from it is... Well, one, the importance of family, right? Cousin Vinny was needed and he drove down to BFE, Alabama (laughs) to stand up for his wrongfully accused cousin. And so I take away the family aspect of it. But also the thing that I look at it from a lawyer's perspective is just tenacity and just being a dog on a bone, Mm -hmm. going after every single piece of evidence, going after every witness, finding little holes to poke in. I mean, the scene where he cross-examines the man who was cooking grits in his kitchen. And he says, do you have magical grits? Do grits cook faster in your kitchen than anywhere else? The laws of physics don't apply to your kitchen. The laws of physics don't apply in your kitchen. I mean, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And then obviously the scene where he puts on Marissa Tomei and establishes her as an expert. Love it. I mean, it's perfect film, start to finish, 10 out of 10, no notes. notes. (laughs) Okay. But the other movie, because I feel like My Cousin Vinny is so often said as a top legal film. The other movie, though, that I think about is The Verdict. Yes. And that one came out in 1982. It stars Paul Newman. I found this movie accidentally. I was sitting on a plane heading back home and I needed something to watch. And I was in college at the time and I knew I was going to law school and I said, oh, this looks like a lawyer movie. I'm going to be a lawyer someday. I'll watch this. And I finished it feeling so inspired. And also, I'll be honest, because I was in college, I didn't know much about medical malpractice. It's a medical malpractice movie. It is. Which I feel like when you think about lawyer movies, so many of them are told from the criminal side because those are often the most compelling I was about to give a shout out to Aaron Brockovich for making a civil case like interesting, which is rare. Yes. (laughs) But again, similar to the vein of My Cousin Vinny, it's just being tenacious. I mean, the way that, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, the way that Paul Newman's character is able to hunt down the witness that he needed in order to blow up the 
defense's case and also prove that they were lying. That is honestly inspiring. That's the kind of lawyer. And it's funny because he's a terrible lawyer. That's part of the film, too, is that he's a terrible bum leading well, up to it. an alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Down on his luck. Yes. But that tenacity of his is, you know, something that I finished the film and I'm stuck on a plane, so it's not like I'm walking anywhere. But I finished it and I was like, wow, that's the kind of lawyer that I want to be. Not what he was at the beginning, but how he finished <laughs> it at the end where he actually did his job. <laughs> but he did it so well. And he was obviously, you know, up against this big, bad defense attorney and their team and the way they tried to intimidate him and the way they tried to buy him and his clients out. And his client was truly a completely vulnerable person that needed someone in her corner. That movie has stuck with me since the first time I watched it. Honorable mentions, A Time to Kill. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a film that if I've done presentations showing closing arguments, I show that one. and I'm like, look, there's a couple things you might have gotten objections to here and there. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you could get away with that, but it's obviously very inspiring. Philadelphia. Oh. I showed clips from that also whenever I've done sort of presentations on opening and close. Twelve Angry Men. And I think that's an important one from a juror's perspective, which can oftentimes get lost on attorneys, is we have to remember that at the end of the day, the jury is going to be the one deciding the case. So we have to think about how are these people going to go back to their deliberation room and sort of analyze the evidence? What are they thinking about? And then the last one, this is not a great legal film. It is just insane. And so and I don't know if many people have seen it, but it's called Reversal of Fortune. <laughs> Oh boy! It's, it's now the here Alan we go Dur with the deep cuts. Liz's <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. deep cuts. Reversal of Fortune is one of those movies where you have nothing else to do. Like you're snowed in, you have nowhere to go, and you just need something to watch. It's ridiculous. It's Alan Dershowitz's story <laughs> about the time he helped with the appeal for Klaus Van Bulow, who was accused of murdering his wife, Sonny. So this has a true crime aspect. This is all like based on the true story. It's ridiculous. And it's got Jeremy Irons at his most Jeremy Irons, which means just <laughs> incredibly over the top. So reversal of fortune. If you've got, I don't know, two hours to kill, <laughs> just watch it because it's goofy. Just watch it. <laughs> Well, so Liz, it's interesting that you mentioned Philadelphia because I just listened to Tom Hanks on Armchair Expert. Mm. It was great. He is, I mean, he is the ultimate showman. It's wonderful to listen to him talk for like an hour and a half. But he was talking about how when Philadelphia was made, like think of that movie was made now. Right. He was saying that there's no way that a gay actor doesn't play that role, first of all. But at the time, there's no way someone that wasn't him plays the role. And the movie's not about how you feel about AIDS or gay people or anything like that. The movie's about was it okay Justice. for him to get fired. And that's why the movie is made surrounding the case. It's interesting, you know, the things that hold the test of time and don't. But then to hear it analyzed from the social aspect at the time as opposed to looking at it through today's lens. It's so interesting to me. I wanted to go back and watch it immediately. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about To Kill a Mockingbird. Sure. Oh, I had that right. one written I down, know. too. Like, I feel like yeah. that we should have led with that very obvious. I think we all have a special place in our heart for that movie, for sure. That could replace Aaron Brockovich for me, probably. I yeah. think To Kill a Mockingbird, though, I don't consider it as much of a legal film. I consider it more of a coming-of-age story because it is told from the daughter's perspective. 
and it involves things outside of that trial. Now, all of the facts sort of relate back to the trial and how Tom Robinson, as a black man, was treated in the Deep South. The trial seems more of like a different chapter in the film as yes. opposed to being the entirety of the film, like A Few Good Men or yeah. Legally yeah. Blonde, which is about going to law school. Sure. Yes. You guys, I have to admit, I don't think I've ever seen the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, I've read the book man. numerous, numerous times, but... I have it on DVD. I don't think I've ever seen the film. <laughs> Who is it's, a it's DVD not, not, player? The reason I have it on DVD is because my mom bought it for me for Christmas before I went to law school. That's sweet. Yeah. So almost every year, the ABA Journal publishes the greatest legal movies. Now, I'll tell you, the list I can find, because we're so professional here at Hills in the Courtroom, <laughs> the best I could do on Google was from 2008. So in the last almost 14 years, <laughs> I don't know if there's any to add. But So I'll do the top 10, okay? Let's see how close we got. All right, the, number one, To Kill a Mockingbird. Number two, 12 Angry Men. Number three, My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> Number four, Anatomy of a Murder from 1959. Mm. Okay. I don't know that one. I have seen that one. I think it's on Netflix. Okay. Or Maybe at least I'll it was that. on Netflix back in like 2018, I think. Liz can't lend you the DVD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number five, Inherit the Wind. Oh, I don't know. What I don't is. know that one. Okay. Inherit the Wind is Clarence Darrow and Williams Jennings Bryant. And it's about the monkey trial in backwoods Dayton, Tennessee. Oh, the one about teaching evolution? Yes. Okay. Then we've got number six, Witness for the Prosecution, 1957. Yeah, they're going way back, y'all. 1980, Breaker Morant. Breaker Morant? I've never heard of that one. Me neither. All right. Well, someone's more of a movie snob than me, clearly. <laughs> I don't know. I just I kind of feel know. silly admitting that I don't know some of these, but it is what it is. I mean, okay. Now I'm looking at this with you. I see Philadelphia, Aaron Brockovich, The Verdict. So, but what, where's no? Legally Bond? This well, list is bogus. Number eight is Philadelphia. Number nine is Aaron Brockovich. Number 10, The Verdict. So we're bringing up some. Presumed Innocent, 1990. I did like that. I did like that one. Oh, Fugitman, number 14. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I disagree, sir. But I think what we've learned today is that even though they're movies, they really can be impactful. I think we would be remiss if we did a whole episode about legal movies and didn't reference The Paper Chase. That's also on here. I just Yeah, saw I don't it. know what that is either. I watched that. They showed a clip of that the very first day of my torts class because oh. the movie opens on a torts class where they're learning about the Harry Hand case. And <laughs> <laughs> I, we watched a clip of it. And then I watched the full movie later, probably when I was a 1L, and it was, it was really boring. I'm sorry. They also have Miracle on 34th Street as number 25. Which, the Santa movie? Yeah, like small part of the movie. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's an example. Legally Blonde belongs on it this does. list. I, Did a man write that list? I don't know. <laughs> I don't the, know. I don't Likely. know if it's like vote. Anyway, our list includes yes. Legally Blonde. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> this has been the best legal movies from <laughs> Heels in the Courtroom. Number one, a staunch tie between Legally Blonde and A Few Good Men. <laughs> well, I know. But my kind isn't Vinny. We might have and, to have right, like yeah. a three or four I think we can time. agree those are the top three. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Top those three. are Those are yeah. our collective top three. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies, for the mental break today of maybe not dealing with the heaviness of the world or the 
unending skills that we must all know to be litigators, but a little lightness with our favorite movies. So thanks for joining us. You can find us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. We'd love to hear your comments. If you would like to criticize and judge our top three, we're happy to take it. See you next time. Bye. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today. 